Well, good morning. Um, I hope we all had a really good Thanksgiving. I have to tell you that um, my Thanksgiving was good. And I, I, how many of you do the traditional, like, go around the table and tell what you're thankful for? Just show of hands. One of us. Okay, awesome. <laughs> all right. Well, we do that. We do that. And I was a genuine, uh, I could not say, my family and I both, it was really easy because that sometimes it gets awkward. Anyone know what that's like? Because you spend most of your life complaining. You're not really grateful. You know what I'm saying? Like, so it's like, whoa, what am I thankful for? You know? We were able to say without a doubt, the first thing on the top of our list was our church. We're so grateful for you. We really are. And what God is doing in our midst is just uh, rare. It's amazing. And it cannot be under or overstated. So I just want to say thank you. Uh, we are grateful for our church family and, and we love you. And so this morning, it's really, really good to be with you. And I'm excited as we wrap up this mini series that we have called the Red Letters. And today's sermon is simply entitled this, A Disciple is Like His Teacher. Uh, as we wrap up this series, it is, um, it is important to be restated. These are Jesus' words. Okay, that's why we call it the red letters. This is Jesus' sermon. This is not something that uh, can really be uh, misinterpreted or interpreted too much or is open to uh, subjectivism. The reality is these are some of Jesus' most famous words. This sermon distinguished him. It defined him. And over, over the past few weeks, we've heard him kind of turn his, his life and attention towards the disciples towards the last year of his ministry and he looks at them and he takes their world and as they know it and basically flips it on its head entirely. He's leaving them the ministry of reconciliation and thus that would be passed to us. And he's holding them responsible for teaching anyone who inquires of the kingdom of God or of the way to show them what it looks like to live kingdom, which in turn was passed to us. And the things that Jesus said that were so different, so distinguishing, were the kingdom is a place where the poor are blessed. In their day, that was different. In a third world country, that wouldn't make sense. It is a place where the highly favored are the humble and the persecuted. That would not have made sense to them because the highly favored of them were those who were religious leaders who in full regalia judged the people. And then he says, in my kingdom, you are to love one's enemy, which in their day would have made no sense given, given that they were taught the Gentiles were dogs and Samaritans even lower. So Jesus is handing these men, these men who were not selected by other rabbis. They're not selected for, to go beyond in rabbinical school to study. He selects these people who are tax collectors and fishermen, and he pulls them aside and he says, I want you to show the world because you look different than what the world expects. I want you to show the world a love that will change it. My world. And too often, I believe that we have a tendency to let culture dictate what we read in Scripture. So again, let me just, let me just say, today I want to put on our biblical lens, not our cultural lens. I want to look at what Jesus says and let Jesus simply teach what he we intended, not what we want to interpret, not what we wanted to say. How many people recognize that you, you have a tendency to let in what you want to hear, right? Okay. And how many of us also recognize that sometimes Jesus' words were really hard? Okay. So let's put on our biblical lens. Let's not mistakenly approach these verses. Let's go through it verse by verse and simply read them for what they are. And today I hope that we will 
uh, allow ourselves to look a little differently when we leave, not just simply dictating a, a palatable or more palatable manuscript from the words of Jesus, taking what he intended and making it our own. Okay? So this morning, we're going to be in Luke 6, verses 37 through 49. It's 12 verses, a lot of verses, but we're going to wrap the end of verse 6 um, with Jesus' most defining sermon of his ministry. This was his yoke. This was the set of teachings that followed him wherever he went, and it's what he expected his people to do. Verse 37, judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And he spoke this parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank within your own? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor are grapes gathered from a bramble bush. A good man out of good treasure from his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep the laid foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard it did nothing. It's like a man who built his house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. This morning, I want to give you my first point. And we're going to go to this, this famous passage that I believe... We, how many of you have ever seen um, passages be taken out of context? Okay, I want to give you the first one right away, out the gate. Here we go. Judge not... And you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Here it is. Here's your first point. Do not judge, yet assess. Do not judge, yet assess. Now, I was getting ready this morning um, in my bathroom, and I had my my sermon out on the vanity. I was just kind of looking over my notes as I was brushing my teeth, and my son, Cannon, came in that morning, and he was uh, brushing his hair as he often does. He just got out of the shower. He's brushing his hair, and he's looking. He goes, "Is is this what you're going to preach? And I said, it is. And he saw this point, and he saw it highlighted, and he said, I know what that means. And I said, you do? What does it mean? He goes, that means donkey. And I said, whoa, no, 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 that's, there's an added S there, buddy. That's assess. This means evaluate. (laughs) 
<laughs> um, Jesus is teaching to his disciples, and he's really speaking to leadership here as he gives this. No leader, no rabbi would have selected uh, disciples that he wasn't himself going to assess. What this is talking about is you don't have the power to condemn someone. There's no, there's no like eternal turn here. And, and what he was really speaking against was the self-righteous of the rabbi or the leader at this time. So let me, let me paint it really simply. Here it is. We don't ask five-year-olds to do trigonometry. We don't ask them to multiply before they learn to add. We don't teach them to write eloquent things without teaching them first the alphabet. So Jesus throughout his ministry looked at his disciples and said, I want to tell you how this will end. I want to give you the future, but you're not ready for it yet. And how many of you know you've experienced enough of life so far that you're grateful Jesus didn't let you know what was coming? Because you can only handle so much at a certain time. It's palatable. So he's never asked us not to assess. He asks us to be teachable. He asks us to grow and to have a growth evaluation process. He's about to leave the entire ministry to people who were not selected by other rabbis. They're taking on a yoke that is different. One that is supernatural goes beyond others. He cannot leave to these common nobodies something so big without assessing whether they're ready or not, whether they can handle it or not. And one of the greatest places of his evaluation is how self-righteous they are. One of his most marking principles for whether they were ready or not was how self-righteous they came across. You see, we would never look at well, for instance, like I've heard this said repeatedly, like um, that we have to not force on other people certain things. We can't push them. Let, let's use that logic for a second, okay? Let's use that logic with an alcoholic, for instance. Someone who's intentionally destroying themselves. And you know it. They abuse alcohol or drugs and they're destroying themselves. They hate themselves so much or what they've been dealing with that they are functionally destroying themselves. When an alcoholic looks at you and says, I'm fine, I can handle it. Are they fine? Can they handle it? Is it loving and gracious for you, the church, to look at them and go, okay, I don't want to push you here. In fact, one of the most grace-filled and loving things that we can do in that moment is is force them to accept the truth because they cannot help themselves. They'll destroy themselves. Destruction is imminent. You don't let, you might as well, when you are going, it's okay, I trust you, I think you'll be fine, you might as well hand them the bottle. Do you hear what I'm saying? So what, what he's saying here is not that, that we are to not assess, that person is going to harm themselves. They're a detriment to themselves. What we're not to do is critically and harshly through self-righteous look down our nose at others around us. We're not to critique in such a way that we, we appear as in our own regalia while we look down the nose at others around us. He had what this entire religious system that he's handing these people this sermon to were raised with that in mind. 
They were raised that the rich were blessed and favored by God and in the regalia had the ability to judge others. And they were, remember Jesus flipped the money tables in the temple when the poor would come in, when the less favored by God would come in to worship and give homage just so they didn't offend God anymore. They would actually miss, they would misuse their offering and rob from them. These people, these these critiquing, these harsh, these religiously revealed, rich and and really profitable men Jesus is going don't be like that repeatedly Jesus looked at his disciples and said beware the doctrine or the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees why because their entire faith system is based around themselves and their own self-righteousness and so he says do not be like them Every rabbi must assess their disciples. They have a responsibility to do that. We have to know what the disciple can handle. We have to see people grow as a disciple. If you are at the same place today that you were the moment you prayed to receive Jesus, and that was like tens of years ago, you've not grown whatsoever. I need you to really listen. Because you may have bought into the wrong thing. You may have bought into the thing that Jesus is teaching against right here. You may have bought into simply having the Old Testament memorized and committed to memory, which they did. And looking down their nose at other people meant a a life in the kingdom. And Jesus says, that's nothing like my kingdom. In fact, if you haven't noticed for the past couple years here, I've been spending time with the ostracized. I've been actually treating people who are unlovely to the rest of the world as if they were what? People. And I'm not judging them based on the the afflictions they have. And I'm also not telling them things that the religious are telling them. That they are demon possessed or hated by God because they're deaf or have leprosy. They're simply afflicted and I'm going to remove that affliction. But see, they're, they're an illustration All of you are afflicted, and I'm going to remove that as well. The affliction that we often struggle most with is self-righteousness and self-worship. Hello? How many of you just had Thanksgiving with your family? Someone asked me how was Thanksgiving. I said, you know, it it was, family's funny, you know? And you sit around the circle and you recognize self-worship, right? It's offensive. This is what Jesus is teaching against. But the thing that Jesus is also pointing out is uh, in, in warning his disciples or his followers to beware the leaven of the Pharisees or Sadducees, he, say, he goes on and he explains a passage and he uses an illustration using the eye to unpack that even further. He's saying you cannot lead someone where you yourself are not. You also can't lead people towards a truth that you yourself cannot see, that you haven't accepted yourself. And so point two, how well do you see? How well do you interpret? He uses the eye and he metaphorically breaks it down in two ways. First, he says the blind can't lead the blind. We're never going to feel comfortable 
with a blind person who's walked into an environment, let's say that environment is the Grand Canyon, and they're going to step towards a cliff that they've never been to, but that cliff is not fenced. Anyone else feel angst rise up within you as you watch that take place? We're not going to feel okay with that. Or we're not going to feel okay with someone who's physically blind walking into oncoming traffic in New York City. That's never going to feel, I'm going to feel like someone needs to help them, right? Without aid, letting them walk into places that could be harmful for them. This is what he's saying. The aid that is offered to the blind here spiritually is yet the spiritually blind. But they have a prowess and they have a reverence from the people and from their liturgic structure that says, listen to these guys. Jesus comes in and says, no. It is the stark opposite. The blind cannot lead the blind. You're going to lead people off a cliff. How can you listen to them when they don't even know truth? How can you listen to them when they don't recognize the Messiah himself. They can't, they can't decipher truth when it's staring him in the face and speaking back to them. I am God come down. And these people are trying to lead the, the people of Israel to God. But they don't recognize me. They've memorized the Old Testament. They know every prophecy that says what the Messiah will look like. Here I stand before them and they could not be less less ignorant to that fact. They are completely lost to that reality. Because what I teach offends their worship, their self-worship. What I teach offends their righteousness, their self-righteousness. Righteousness is never earned. It's imparted. It's a gift. Hello? It's a gift. True righteousness, the ability to love your enemy, like Tim Bryant shared last week, which I heard he did okay, right? He was adequate. (laughs) The ability to love your enemy is not natural. It's not within us. What's within us is the ability to love ourselves and be self-preserving. But he says, how are you going to find your way to righteousness in God, a gift When you're following the self-righteous, the blind, you'll be led to more self-righteousness. Amen? You may be able to impress people with your ability to spout or memorize Scripture. What I'm asking you to do is to live Scripture. I'm asking you not to critique those around you, but actually be loving, patient, kind, and spend time with those that no one else will spend time with. Because they're people craven in my image whom I am going to the cross for and I love. While the religious leader in your life has ignored them to the point where they feel unlovable. Anyone else know someone in your life? Not you, but someone in your life who is unbelieves they are unlovable. So he says uh, this. Verse uh, Hosea 4.9. Let me just say it like this. The, the message today is this. We are to be like our teacher. Hosea 4.9 says it. Like people, like priest. First Peter 2 says that we are a royal priesthood. 
that has been entrusted to us, that not only the disciples that are right in front of him, whom he's giving this away to, but this was to be passed on to those who are gathered in this place right now because we are called to make disciples. We're called to make disciples of Jesus. If we do not, in fact, know how or what Jesus expects, we are the blind leading the blind. If we ourselves do not practice the way of Jesus and do as Jesus says, then we are the blind leading the blind. We are leading people towards ourselves or towards self-righteousness, not towards Jesus. Amen. Hello? And so he is, he is saying the lamp, uh, sorry, Matthew uh, 6.22, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore the eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? The reality is this. We teach what we've been taught. We lead the way we've been led. We parent the way we've been parented. Anyone else, you know, judge people for the way they parent? No, no parental judgment in here? You're You're liars. We relate the way we've seen relationships take place. We've been trained, whether consciously or unconsciously, we do so. And we don't do otherwise unless you have something like Jesus show up and flip our world on its head and cause us to pivot towards him. We are going to be a creature of habit shaped by the culture unless we allow Jesus' words to shape us. And he uses this almost cartoon-like image as he explains the second part of the eye. As he goes further, he says, hey, don't worry about the speck in your brother's eye till you take attention to the plank in your own. I want to break down those words for a second. Kephos is speck, a small piece of, listen, wood, straw, splinter, or shafe. This is something that, how many of you have had a splinter before? Okay? A splinter at the end of your finger. He uses a different word when he turns to the religious leader, speaking to their self-righteous, and he says plank or beam, dokas, which was used in flooring or roofing a house. Starkly different. Jesus intentionally uses words that are vastly different in size. He says, you got enough to keep you busy. You've got enough going on. In essence, your own massive self-righteousness and pride has blinded you from and been an obstacle to your accepting and living in the truth before God. Righteousness is obtained. is not obtained. It's freely given. So submit to the truth. Jesus is looking at them. And I love this. I love this. This quote I read by Bob Goff, it says this. How many of you know difficult people? Okay, so it's really easy to see their speck, right? Anybody else really good at seeing what's wrong with other folks? It says, love difficult people. You are one of them. Jesus is saying, how can we accurately assess even the slightest of sin in another's life? When you're guilty of amassing a sin of self-righteousness in your own. Amassing it. These leaders were proud of it. 
They were rich due to it, and they were revered for it. There was no, nothing stood to the contrary in the world around them. So everyone to follow was being trained that this is how this is done. Jesus in Matthew 23, 28, he said this, assessing those religious leaders. He said, even so you are also outwardly appear righteous to men. Inside, you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness, the very thing you've memorized. As he was saying, the only way that we can move past this is to confess and repent of that first. Seeing clearly the sin in our own lives of self-righteousness before we try to aid in the sin of others. And here's the thing. He never says, don't remove the speck from your brother's eye. He just says, you are to notice first the plank in your own. Why do you look at or observe the speck in your brother's, but miss the plank that stands before you, keeping you blinded? We are called to help assess. We're called to help grow. Anybody here ever been entrusted to coach before? And you coach someone who comes out and has what we call raw talent. And with your help, they can be refined because you hand them basic skills, textbook skills that when they are handed those, they become something greater than they ever thought imaginable because they have now the basics. Now they have what, what we would call great, um, great fundamentals. Thank you. Good word. Sometimes I get ahead of myself. You have sound fundamentals that makes your raw talent funnel in a way that seems better than those around you. I've seen kids who have little talent come out and be taught proper fundamentals and they can contribute. What Jesus is saying is this. Give hope. Give hope. By seeing people the way I see them. Stop looking at yourself to the religious leader as if you're better than everyone else. Spend time looking at how difficult it is to love your enemy, how difficult it is to recognize the blessing that is found with the poor, those you otherwise ostracize. Spend time with the leper. Find yourself feeling comfortable in that environment. Let the plank be removed from you. See them the way that I do. And then, then help your brother learn to do the same. Hello? Because point three, he says, you'll be known by your fruit. Simply put, <laughs> you, don't draw, you don't draw strawberry from squeezing a lemon. When you are pressed, crushed, but not defeated, when your back is against the wall, the question is what comes out? The question is what comes out? When you press someone who may appear very righteous to the untrained eye, when you press their back against the wall, listen how many times they say I. Listen for how many times they defend themselves. I didn't do anything. It's not my fault. I have done this. I've done this. I've done this. And I give you a list of what I do that, that I was taught in legalism to do. And I don't do this. And so therefore, hello, 
When you press the self-righteous, self-righteousness comes out. When you press the pure, purity comes out. Jesus is asking for us to empty ourselves so that he can fill us with purity, with his fruit, who he is. When we make our lives, listen to this, when we make our lives about other things, when we actually make our lives and our vision about other things that are worldly or temporal or cultural, and then we piggyback Jesus onto it, that's not faith. That's not faith in Jesus. That's faith in stuff or status or what the world has Jesus came to teach against. In fact, John MacArthur said it like this. He says, to have God on one's lips but not in one's heart, listen, I love this, is profane blasphemy. Well, that needs to settle for a second. God on one's lips, but not out of the overflow of my heart in action and in practice. When pressed, this does not come out of me. Profane and intentional blasphemy. What's the only unforgivable sin? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So I, like... Beware the leaven or the doctrine of the Pharisees, Luke 12, 1. Jesus is giving his disciple his yoke, his teachings, which distinguish them. And he says, do not be fooled or swayed by the yoke of the self-righteous Pharisee who knew not how to lead others towards God, but only to themselves. They knew only to send people to hell through lofty religion and self-righteousness because who you are on the inside Who they are on the inside when pressed will truly come out. It always gives way given enough time or pressure. How many have ever experienced this before? How many of you have been plainly convicted because when you were pressed, what came out of you wasn't wasn't Christ-like? A little embarrassed by that. A A little opportunity to take that guilt and repent. Last point, do as I say. Jesus says this, why do you say to me, Lord, Lord, but do not do the things which I say? He says, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show him who he is like. He's like a man building a house who's dug a deep and laid foundation. And on that rock, the flood rose and beat against it, but it didn't shake it, didn't fall. But you heard my words and did nothing with them. Crumble. Crumbles immediately. And this is the point to be made here. Jesus said, do as I say. Too often, we have a tendency to... How many of you have ever heard the saying, um, when the storms come? You've heard that? How many of you have ever heard someone say, if a storm comes? And that... Jesus said in John 15 that if they hate you, they hated me first. Okay? So take the picture of Jesus walking with Peter on water. I want us to look at that in our mind's eye. And I want you to recognize that Jesus said this. If they hate you, they hated me first. And they'll hate anyone who aligns with me. So if you are aligning yourself with Jesus as Lord and Savior, the world will hate you. 
So what Jesus just told us was this, and we've got to take Jesus at his word. It's not if a storm comes or when the storm comes. It's life is a storm for anyone who's in Jesus in this temporal world. It's only at times we notice when we are kind of fearful or looking at ourselves that we notice the waves seem larger than at other times and insurmountable, if you will. And it's in those moments we take our eyes off Jesus and we begin to sink and we become overthrown by those waves. But he said, if you'll stay with me in my teaching, keep your eyes on me, you'll be able to see the impossible take place. You'll be walking on water. Hello? Supernaturally, I can do all things through Christ who what? Where are you drawing your strength? Do as I say. He says, life is a storm that you will not be able to get past without me. But I'm present with you in it. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I will help you navigate this storm until I meet you in eternity. And you'll never taste death. But while you're here, give hope to everyone else by showing them a way that the world does not. Even show them a way that religion has not. They're not to be looking at the religiously elite through their self-righteous and go, that's what I want to be. We've done enough of that. We've done centuries of that. He says, I want to change the world. That's why I came. I want to offer true hope and true purity. That's why I came. The only way the world sees true hope and purity is if the church does as Jesus says. We walk as disciples of our teacher, our rabbi. No rabbi permitted disciples to disobey them. It didn't start with Jesus. It actually started in Greece. But no rabbi, no teacher allowed a mathetes, an apprentice, to do whatever they wanted. It was a It was a selection process. It was a gift to be chosen as a disciple, as an apprentice. They believed you could do what they were doing. They were going to leave it to you. So it was never okay for a disciple to buck what the rabbi told them to do and take what they said as suggestion. It was command. Hello? And so this morning... This morning, here's the thing. We didn't choose to follow just some rabbi. And we didn't choose to align ourselves with just some rabbi whom the rest of the world deems as just a person. We chose to not follow just a good person. We chose to follow God, Lord and Savior. He's more than just a rabbi. He was just kind enough to teach us his ways. We chose to align ourselves with him and Far be it from us to treat what he's commanded as suggestion. He asks us to do as he says. He said, why do you call me Lord and not do as I say? The scariest verses for the churchgoer are found in Matthew 7, 21, 23, also from Jesus. He says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Only he who does what I say. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied or preached your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And behold, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me because you practice lawlessness or you practice self-righteousness. A disciple of Jesus must be like Jesus, doing as he says, 
known by the actual good, supernatural fruit that is born in the lives of those who have the Holy Spirit indwelling them. These are people who are constantly looking at themselves and going, my flesh has to die, like confessing themselves, humbly confessing and repenting of flesh and sin in order to bear more fruit that could never come from them. It's strengthened by him from within, by the Holy Spirit coming forth. And then they help those around them in their community, their spiritual community, do the same, graciously sharing testimony of God's grace in their lives, who has allowed us to live and live freely, inviting those around us to freedom as well by exposing that which is enslaving them, killing them. Go back to my example of the alcoholic. But I want you to apply, I want you to apply the alcohol that's abused, the narcotics that are abused, whatever it is that's self-destructing, I want you to apply self-righteousness. Some people will worship themselves so much and they'll say, I'm fine. Living their lives by a checks and balances system, proving to themselves in their mind, deceived that they're okay. And it's killing them. It's destroying them. Their own sin and self-righteousness has to be removed. And we are not the people, the people of God, to criticize in a harsh or critical way, but we are expected to live so differently that it exposes that in their lives. 